0: All right, you guys can be seated. Man, what an awesome, uh, awesome beginning this morning! I'm glad that you're here. We're doing things a little bit different this morning. For one thing, you guys seem a lot further from me. Uh, maybe this, that's just our setup, uh, but uh, but our orders of worship are a little bit different today. And I want to give you an update on Dan. Uh, Dan did come home from the hospital yesterday. Uh, Dan's our worship guy. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I would say Dan's probably watching right now. So Dan. Uh, We miss you, buddy, and we're praying for your healing, and we're uh, just thrilled that God's been so gracious in uh, restoring you and getting you back home. So, uh, Dan, uh, we love you, and uh, we're looking forward to having Dan back up here again. But we do appreciate Chris. Uh, Chris stepped in and gave us an incredible beginning this morning in our worship team. Everybody just kind of stepped up. Uh, So, um, we're glad that you're here, and it's been a a crazy week. You know, a lot of us have probably been through uh, some tough times, and we're going through challenging times, but God's good, and God's still on the throne, and uh, it's all going to be okay. Uh, it's all, from his perspective, it's all going to be okay. So we're in a series that Tony began last week, he did a great job talking about uh, coming and seeing the invitation that Jesus gives to all of us to say, hey, why don't you come and just see what I'm about, what I'm, who I am and what I do, And uh, today we're going to be taking the next step in that journey uh, about learning how to follow after Him. Um, Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a decision or a commitment and not considered the cost that would result from that decision? Have you ever done that? For example, maybe you purchased a vehicle, but you didn't think about having to make 60 months or 72 months of payments or whatever it is. Maybe you've done that. Or maybe as a young person, you were so excited about going to school and getting into college and the college life, and you got out and realized you owe years and years of school, stool loan payments, right? Or maybe about us. You know, you get a cute little puppy uh, that that, uh, that you get, and you're in love with the puppy, and then you, you forgot about house training and chewing. It's kind of where we are with our dog, Buck, right now. You know, it all seems a lot of fun until so you have to deal with the repercussions of it. You know, every decision that we make in life actually has repercussions and results that we have to deal with sooner or later. And while you can't know everything about everything that's going to happen, there are some things that are pretty predictable. There are some things that you do know. If you've ever raised a dog, you know you're going to have to go through a stage, uh, the puppy stage. If you ever bought a car, you know there's payments. You know, all those things are out there. Sometimes we just don't oftentimes count the cost. And today, that's where we're going to be talking a little bit about the cost of following Jesus. You know, Jesus addressed this scenario in Luke chapter 14, where he's told a couple of stories, two scenarios. He says the first is a story about a man who begins to build a tower, but he doesn't count the cost of money, and then he runs out of money halfway through it. And then people made fun of him for starting something he couldn't finish. You know, you always ought to be cautious in beginning something, making sure that you know that you have enough resources, time, energy to finish it. For those of us who lived in central Kentucky for some time, the Kentucky Castle is a great example of that. If you were around for quite a while, you probably know that castle was started in the early 1970s, and then for about 30 years, it just sat really falling down. And it was kind of a, you know, a, a laughingstock, you know, the guy was in some way, Mr. Martin, because he just didn't have enough resources to finish it. Some of you remember the day it burned, the night it burned. We sat on the fence watching it burn. A lot of us, not much going on in Versailles, I guess. Uh, and then it was rebuilt and it went on. But, but that castle is an example of someone who started something big but didn't have enough to finish it out. The second scenario Jesus gives here is even more serious because it's that of a king who declares war against another king, but then realizes he doesn't have enough soldiers to win the battle. And he said, wouldn't it be better if the king actually would count the cost, determine can he, with his army, defeat the other army, uh, other army and if he can't, then, you know, work out peace before you cost a bunch of people their lives. And Jesus says it's all about counting the cost, in this case, of discipleship. And he concludes this by saying, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine how those words hit the 12 disciples when Jesus told them, you can't be my disciple unless you give up everything that you have? You know, I'm sure this was uh, probably a big impact to them because some of them thought, you know, we're getting everything. We're not giving everything. We're in this to get something, right? I mean, and, and sometimes we wonder, isn't the Christian life a, supposed to be a life of perfection where we never have any struggles and everything goes our way? And it's per- isn't that why we get into it? So things will be better for us? But the reality of it, that isn't true, is it? And instead of promising us a perfect, comfortable life, Jesus warns us that there will be sacrifices that we're going to have to make to be a disciple, that there is the cost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus does this in a very clear way, and and He kind of lays it out. He prefaces His teaching by predicting His own sufferings and death. Now, this conversation comes at a really interesting point in the, the life or the time span of the disciples and, and their following Jesus, because one of the highest points in his ministry was when Peter, who was one of his closest disciples, came to him and acknowledged who he really was. He had been watching Jesus, he had come and seen and heard the claims of Jesus, and Jesus said, who do people think I am? And they said, well, some people say you're a prophet or John the Baptist, come back to life again. And he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. I mean, that declaration we've all, who are followers of Jesus, we've made that when we gave our life to Christ, but Peter was the first one, and it was a high moment there. And so everything was at a great point in this life. And then Jesus says these words in Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to death, raised to life. You know, I'm sure that this was news to them. And very disturbing news because they, they didn't see things going down in his life. They saw things going up. This was a great moment. You know, they were beginning to understand who he was. And Peter had defined that in words. Christ is the son of the living God. And they were thinking about this kingdom that he was going to be building. And they were all jockeying for position. I want to be on your right hand. I want to be on your left. I want to have authority and everything. They were all looking forward to something big happening. They already knew he was the Messiah, and the Savior, so why in the world would he possibly allow anyone to arrest him and interrupt all these plans for his kingdom? Why would he let that happen? If he had all the power in the world, why would he let anybody take him by force, make him suffer, and put him to death? And so Peter, being the leader, calls him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human confer- concerns. So, when, when Jesus says these words and everybody's face begins to fall and everybody begins to worry a little bit and sweat, Peter steps in and he starts doing damage control because this is not what they wanted to hear, obviously. And he says, hey, Jesus, you know, um, y- y- this is bad for morale. I'm just telling you, the guys are not excited about your plans. And, uh, and I don't think this is going to happen because I'm not going to let it happen. I mean, Peter was just that kind of guy. Do you remember when Jesus, when they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter still wasn't over this, and he stepped up with a sword, cut a guy's ear off to try to keep them from arresting Jesus, and then Jesus had to heal the guy's ear. So Peter, you know, he was pretty impulsive here, but at this moment, he just steps out and says, Jesus, you're wrong. This isn't going to happen. You know what? That's always a bad idea to correct Jesus. Never correct Jesus because he's always right. And suddenly, Peter goes from the top of the list of of popularity from Jesus, he goes to the bottom. And Jesus sternly condemns him. He even calls him Satan. Did you pick that up? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You are a problem to me. You're not being helpful right now. You are ignorant of the plans of God, and you're only concerned with your own personal ambition and goals." Just imagine how Peter felt he really was brought down and Jesus put him in his place. But then Jesus said to disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus had explained to his disciples that there would be a cost of discipleship, but it really seems to be the most thought-provoking of all his teachings. Other times he talked about counting the cost, but this moment really strikes them as being important and significant. Because the idea of being a follower of Jesus sounds pretty exciting and very rewarding, right? We get all this stuff, we get all these promises to us, and we all want to reap the benefits, we all want to go to heaven, but are we willing to pay the price to get there? to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus laid out the own, his own cost he would pay in order for us to have that and tells us, you will have your own cost of discipleship. And there is a cost that we often don't consider or plan for. You know, when I think back about the people that I've been blessed and privileged to help lead to the Lord, I wonder sometime if I have sold them more on the advantages of being a Christian than on the cost of being a Christian makes me feel a little bit concerned that I didn't say, hey, it's great, all these things, but there will be a cost. But I don't want to be guilty of bait and switch. And and so Jesus is really honest. He says, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a cost of discipleship. And this is a cost that a lot of people will stumble over. In fact, it will be a cost that some people will not be willing to pay. And that's pretty obvious. But that's how Jesus lays it out. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, this is Jesus, of course, will never be put to shame. Not to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. So Peter lays it out and he says, Jesus is the cornerstone. And for many people, he will, build what they bu- what, he will be what they build their lives on, the cornerstone of life, which is what the plan's all about. But there are some people that will not be able to acknowledge him as a cornerstone, and instead they will fall over him. They will, it will be a stumbling block to them. It's interesting, that's what Jesus told Peter. He would be to himself, you'll be a, you're a stumbling block. But he said Jesus Himself will ma- cause some people to stumble and fall, and they will do that because they disobey the message, and they're not willing to accept Jesus and follow Him and pay the cost. See, the the life of a disciple is not simple or easy. It would be great if we could just promise people your life is going to be wonderful and pain free and positive. You'll never have a struggle when you give your life to Jesus. I mean, that would be. That would be a great incentive for people to follow Christ. But the reality is that isn't true, that we deal with the same issues of life. We get sick, we die, we have heartaches and brokenness in our life. It happens like everybody else. Now, of course, it's more difficult for some than others. We read stories about believers who are martyred for their faith. I mean, it's inspiring stories, but they're willing to die for the cost of discipleship. We read about people who are in prison or tortured because of that. they are the heroes of faith. In fact, there's a whole chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11, that's dedicated to the heroes of faith. People who followed God, believed in God and had faith in spite of the, the, the consequences. There are people like that. We're grateful that we don't have to suffer for our faith, but maybe we're taking the easy route. Maybe because we live in a great nation with free uh, freedom to, to express religion that we don't suffer like others, but maybe we're missing something because we don't. See, the cost that we pay is going to benefit us. That's what Jesus is saying. The cost of being a disciple of Christ is a life of surrender. It's a life that is a cause greater than our own, and that's inspiring. You know, we want something big enough to matter. And that's one thing I love about the next generation. We call them millennials and even beyond, but they really care about something that's bigger than they are some of us might settle you know for just whatever we can get but but i love our young people who have they want to be a part of something that matters and i want to tell you there's nothing that matters more than jesus we can learn a lot from our young people they're willing to do that and we need to learn that there's going to be a cost in our life but that cost is going to be worth it the reward's going to be greater than the cost And the life of a disciple is a life of discipline to force our will to transform to His will and not be conformed to the world. The easiest thing to do is go along with everybody else. But the cost is sacrifice and being different, being transformed. We don't think like the rest of the world. We don't seek the things the world seeks after. We don't act like the rest of the world. We march to the beat of a different drummer and the rest of the world will never understand that. They will never acknowledge that, why we believe and why we behave like we do, which, by the way, is a warning to us that if we don't see any difference in our life and the life of everybody else, we may not be a disciple of Christ. We may not be following, we may not be counting the cost and living the cost. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. So, what is it in your life that you're paying a cost for, for being a follower of Jesus? So if you think the life of Christ or the Christian life is a life of ease and comfort, you're probably missing the Christian life. Jesus said it like this, "'Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me.'" And in this one statement, Jesus gives us three costs of being a disciple. And you might want to jot these down and think a little bit about them and see if you're paying the cost in these areas. First of all, the first cost is that we must deny ourselves. We must deny ourselves. The, the life of a Christian is denying what they want. Our inclination is to focus on ourselves, what I want, what we want for ourselves. But self-denial is the willingness to deny our self-possessions or status or whatever it may be in order to grow in holiness and commitment to God. You know, I was thinking about this. It's kind of the idea, I believe, behind where someone might choose to become a monk. You know, uh, we don't hear a lot about that. That's kind of something that, that's not in front of us all the time, but people choose to sacrifice a, a life like everybody else, in many cases of having a family, a, a spouse and family. They choose to isolate themselves. They're not tempted by the world. They have very simple clothes. They have uh, simple food. You know, they don't do that. to so focus less on their self, focus on Jesus. But here's the problem with that. That might be great in your relationship with Him, but it's not, it's not being, being a disciple and making disciples. You're isolating yourself from everybody else. We're not called to isolate from the world. We're called rather to focus less on ourselves and more on Christ than others. and others. So we can do that without escaping society. In fact, when we escape society, we, we lose the, the, the possibility of making more disciples. The Apostle Paul said it like this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You know, there's a lot of evidence that Paul was pretty wealthy at one point in his life. The status that he had, the position, the role, the career that he seemed, track he seemed to be on. He was probably wealthy, maybe even from a wealthy family. But Paul gave up every bit of that. When he followed Jesus, he was cut off from family. If he had a spouse, some people say that maybe if he was married, his, his wife even left. And we don't even know what happened. And we just know he gave the cost, paid the cost. And he followed Jesus. And he said, everything I used to have that I considered to be valuable is now garbage. But I have the most important, the most valuable thing, Jesus. That's denying yourself. Amen. Denying yourself means overcoming the fleshly demands, a desire of the body or of the carnal man. The Bible calls this crucifying the flesh. It means that we're willing to sacrifice momentary joys and pleasures and that, that God says are not aligned with our position and place in life. It also means that we deny that, that I'm the center of the universe. My world doesn't revolve around me anymore. I put Jesus in the center. We don't focus on what we want, rather what God wants for our lives. And obviously that becomes a battle, right? There are two sides of us, the human side, the spiritual side, if we are a believer, and they're going to always fight against each other. They're going to always conflict with one another. You know, in our, our study the other night, we were talking about the Holy Spirit's leading in our life, and, and we were saying that we can be like Jesus, and be, be, uh, uh, because Jesus was human, fully human. And we were talking about, the, the, the question I asked was, how do we identify with Christ and His submission to the Holy Spirit? Because He is with the Holy, He's one with the Holy Spirit, right? But, but we're human, and we're not naturally walking with the Holy Spirit, And our conclusion was that the way we identify with Him is that there's always going to be a struggle in our lives. The the Holy Spirit's going to be pulling us one way and our flesh is going to pull us the other, just like Jesus did. And the way we identify is that tension that always we live in. And we have to be willing to surrender to Him. The flesh is strong and we're tempted, but the more we resist that temptation, the stronger we become. One very tangible way of illustrating self-denial is fasting. And that's something that most of us don't do. I don't do that like I should. Fasting goes against our every inclination when we say, I'm not going to eat a meal. You know, most fasting, thankfully, was only about one meal, so you don't have to go for days without it. But, but fasting is saying, I'm not going to eat this meal. Instead, I'm going to spend this time in prayer and contemplation, meditation, and then see what God teaches me. It's going to make me stronger. God's going to nourish me in that way. But other examples of that are what we talked about a few weeks ago about giving financially sacrificing our money because that's natural for us to spend on ourselves. It's living modestly in life. It's spending time in prayer and Bible study when we could be online or watching TV. Those are disciplines that we need to have in our life. That's counting the cost. That's making our faith worth something. I think it also means seeking the good of other people and others of others before you look out for yourself. Self-denial. The second cost of discipleship that Jesus mentioned here is to take up your cross. Take up your cross. What does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, let's look at what it doesn't mean. You know, some people interpret this phrase, carrying their cross, as some burden they have to carry in their life. Like it's a difficult relationship Maybe it's a thankless job. It's a physical illness. They say, well, you know, that's just my cross to bear. And that sounds extremely spiritual, doesn't it? My cross to bear. The only problem with that is that's not what Jesus meant. Sometimes the thing we say are our cross to bear are things we choose to bear. It's not the one Jesus gave us, it's the one we chose for some reason, and maybe we have a, uh, you know, something we're trying to prove or something, but that's not what Jesus meant about anything here. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he had a very specific meaning, because in Jesus' day, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. It means you were going to die. It wasn't something we wear around our neck, and it wasn't something that, that we admire or respect. It was an ugly instrument of death. And so a person who was carrying their cross was on their way to die, and they knew it. Because a part of the crucifixion was that you had to carry your cross from the place of judgment to the place of death. And all along the way, there was no doubt where you were going. You were going to die, and it was your fate. It was no surprise that you weren't going to die when you got there because you you already knew it. You've accepted your faith. So carrying your cross meant being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. That's a big cost, isn't it? If someone asked us, would you deny Jesus or you choose to die? What would your answer be? We hope we would say we would choose to... To, to, to die rather than deny Jesus, but, but we hope we never are asked that, right? You know, I've heard stories of people who in other countries in different times were forced to make that decision, and they carried through with that whatever their choice was. We would hope we would never have that, but many have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a well-known minister in Nazi Germany, wrote this, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die, to come and die to himself, but sometimes perhaps even to die for Jesus. And you know, that quote has real meaning if you know much about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a minister who opposed Hitler publicly. He stood against the Nazis. Um, he, He went to London to preach for a while, but he realized that he needed to go back to Germany in order to take a stand with his people. And then he came to the United States for a short time but God kept calling him back and saying, you have to stand firm and say, this is not right. You know, some of the, even Christians early on saw the, Hitler as the, their savior because of his nationalism, what he was saying. But he took a stand against that, and he went back, and he was uh, open about Hitler and exposing this, this falsehoods, and he actually was put in a prison camp, and he was hanged shortly before uh, the Nazis were defeated. So when he says when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die, he meant that. He was willing to die for the cause, the cost of discipleship. Now that might mean that we have to literally give our lives one day uh, for our faith, but probably not in our context. It does mean that we're called to live our lives in service and sacrifice. Many of the martyrs in the past have pay the ultimate price. But whatever it may mean for us, it for sure means that we're called to die to self. Die to self. We all have our own cross to bear in walking with the Lord. It's, It's a different struggle that we have. It's a different temptation. It's unique for every one of us. But being a disciple was never meant to be easy. It was never meant to be convenient. And whenever we try to make shortcuts, create shortcuts, or take them uh, for ourselves with others, we minimize the demands of being a follower of Jesus. And that's why Jesus warns us, you have to count the cost. Amen. You have to count the cost because it's not a cheap thing that you're giving into and you're following. And you know what? Jesus set the example, obviously, of carrying His cross. He did. His cross was bearing the weight of the sin of the entire world. Amen. And it wasn't just a wooden cross a cross that he carried to Calvary. It was the weight of our sins, your sins and mine. So he knows what it's like to carry a cross, right? He knows what it's like to to bear the cost of sin. But he was faithful and he fulfilled the calling of his life. Let me give you another inspiring example. In the mid-1950s, there were four young missionaries who were involved in aviation ministries. Uh, it was uh, mission. It was kind of a new field for them, and they loved airplanes. And so, they they began to fly into areas of the country that had not been, uh, at that point, had not been broken into. And these four men were called to share Christ with the Ecuadorian uh, Ecuadorian men, uh, Indians. And they were often very hostile. They they were uh, uh, not had not made friends with anybody. They were very isolated. And so they made some initial contact by dropping gifts from their plane to them, and later they landed on a sandbar, and they made some contact with them. But then later on, some of the Indians attacked them and literally killed all four of these young, aspiring missionaries. One of them, a man named Jim Elliott, had written, "'He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose.'" And that's an amazing statement. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep, his life, to gain that which he cannot lose, which is heaven. It's a wise man who would do that. And he lived that out, and he gave his life. Now, the encouraging thing is that later on, Jim's wife and other family members of these missionaries actually went back and led many of those tribes to Christ. But they could not have done that had Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries not been willing to pay the cost. Was that that harsh? Exactly, it was. That was the cost that God called them to. Take up your cross and follow me. The third cost of discipleship is to follow Jesus, literally follow him. That was a pretty common invitation that Jesus gave. In many cases, Jesus that we read in the Scripture, Jesus was calling the 12 men who would actually become His closest followers, He would say, first of all, come and see. And then when they were intrigued, He would say, follow after me. And He was calling the, the 12 men uh, who would be the ones He would entrust the mission to whenever He was gone. And so they had to know Him well. And the invitation was not just to them. I'm sure He said that to many people, anyone who would respond. But following Jesus is a call that you and I have today. It means to try to be just like him. And I know we've told you this before, but the custom in that day was for a rabbi or a teacher who who would, would teach, and then he would begin to call students to come and follow after him, literally walking in the same footprints that he was making. And the reason they did that was so that they would perfectly imitate the example of the teacher. They wanted to pick up not only what he believed but also how he walked. They didn't just listen and uh, and follow. They mastered his way of life. They mastered how he prayed, how he studied, how he taught, how he served the poor, how he lived out his relationship with God day to day. And in fact, I'm told that they can even identify the rabbi that a certain teacher had followed because his pattern of life was so distinct. And that's how it was with Jesus. In fact, the Bible says at one point that people marveled at the disciples and they realized that that they had been with Jesus because they echoed and imitated his way of life. And they didn't go back to their old way of life. It wasn't a part-time following. They were being transformed to become like the master. Discipleship is something intensely personal and dynamic And it involves ongoing change in our life, transformation, continually learning to say a deeper, stronger, greater yes to Jesus more and more. It is a progressive thing. And the true disciple of Christ is never just going through the motions. They're never just walking after Jesus. They're never settling for mediocrity for the minimum cost or for a check the box, did that, did that, did that. That's not their approach to faith. Rather, true disciples are striving for greatness trying to be more and more like Jesus, looking for the next step of faith that he might call us to take. And they're intentionally um, aiming to root out the sin in their life, honestly looking at their life daily to grow in faith and deepen their relationship with Christ, intentionally trying to be like Jesus. You know, back in the 90s, how did we say it? What would Jesus do, right? It was the 90s or maybe the early 2000s. We don't say it anymore. It kind of got old, but it's still a great theme, right? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus walk? Walk as Jesus walked, intentionally trying to imitate Christ. Guys, these are the costs of discipleship, but let me hurry to say that the value of discipleship is much greater than the cost. I would never want you to go, wow, that was a bummer, you know, now it just sounds like everything's going to be downhill. No, no. Now, there's a cost, but it's well worth it all all along. In fact, Jim Elliott had it right when he said, it's no fool who gives up what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. That's just smart. And Jesus said it this way in Matthew 17, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and He will reward each person according to what they have done. If you try to live your life on your own, you might get a lot, and you might be a success for what the world views success to be, but it's a dead end. It really is. The only life that's lived for Jesus will last and will matter. And that's why it says you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. It's so much better to be willing to lose the whole world and save your soul. So many people are in pursuit of everything the world has to offer, and then they get it only to discover that it's meaningless. They have it, but it, it disappears. It just doesn't have any value. And in the end, they pursued the wrong thing. They missed the most important thing in life, and that is a relationship with Jesus, And the sad thing is that a person may never discover that until it's too late. Someone may never become a disciple of Jesus, and they may leave this world never knowing that until they stand before the Father. And that's why Jesus said, are you not only to be a disciple, but you are to make disciples. Having a heart and compassion for people who don't know the truth that we have. Once we have the truth, we treasure it and we live it out. Because one day, the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come to this in His Father's glory. And He's going to stop this world in its tracks. We don't think about that because we are so used to living life. Even when life is different, like it has been the last several months, we've adapted to that. But imagine if the world stopped in an instant in its tracks when Jesus comes and splits the sky and brings judgment on every person. And guys, we as followers, as disciples, need to live with that reality and that knowledge and think about what the impact of what it means for our life and the lives of others. But on that day, he will either reward or punish everyone based on how they have lived their lives. Did they follow Jesus? Were they a disciple? So in conclusion, let me just ask you, are you following Jesus? Are you personally? We can point to other people and we can be judgmental of them and we often are, but what about us? Are you following Jesus? Have you denied yourself? Have you taken up your cross and followed after him? Remember this, that Jesus is the stone that God has selected to be used to live our life on, to to build our life on the cornerstone. He will either be the cornerstone of your life or he will be a stumbling stone to you. There are people who know exactly what I've told you this morning and they walk away and they say, it's not worth it. He's not worth it. And that is a stumbling stone. It will be the stumbling stone, the thing that makes them fall in life. But there are others, and I pray that's you, who say, no, I believe Jesus is the cornerstone, and I will accept him. I will build my life on him. My question is, what will you decide today? Jesus didn't call his disciples to a life of ease. He called them to a life of service and obedience. The same is true with us today. The invite was a very big one. He wanted wanted them to know what they were getting into. But it was something much bigger than they were. And the same thing is true today. Jesus calls us, come, come and see. And when you see who he is, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him that's our invitation to you this morning. And if you have never done that, I would love to have a conversation with you. We're going to sing a song here in just in a few moments. And I'm going to be up front. I'm going to ask Tony to step over here. We would love to talk to you. You know, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if you need to come and see Jesus. I don't know if you need to know more about him. I don't know if you're at the point where you say, well, I'm, I'm in, I am in, and I want to follow him. And I want to talk to somebody about it, if that is where you are, you need to be able to do that. The Bible says it's one thing to say in our hearts that we believe who Jesus is, but it's another thing to confess Him before others, and that's the part that we follow through on, and I want to encourage you to do that. And then we'll, we'll talk about the next step, which is very, very uh, simply being baptized into Christ, coming into Him, and maybe that's your next step. And we'd love to share with you in that as well. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go into a time of response and a time of worship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we come because we are your people. We come to worship you. Father, we are striving to be disciples. Father, help us learn not only who you are, but what you call us to do and what you call us to, uh, to sacrifice in life, to count the cost. Heavenly Father, I pray... Uh, that if there are those here today who have never given their life to Christ, that, Lord, your word would break through uh, because of or in spite of anything I've said this morning, that, God, you would move through your spirit to touch lives, lives and hearts and draw them to you. And, Lord, we worship you because of that. Father, may we be disciples who make disciples. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.